what's happening in the world coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. U.S. troops allegedly living with mold and bed bugs. A new report describes the horrible situation some soldiers reportedly have to endure on a daily basis. A call for Trump to participate in the second GOP debate. The head of the RNC says she isn't the only one wishing that. We have the details. Senator Bob Menendez says he will remain in office despite corruption charges. The congressman criticized calls for him to step down. Top Republicans in Congress are probing a law firm for an alleged climate crusade. They say it's targeting U.S. energy businesses. Just days left until the U.S. government has to stop spending money. What does Congress need to do and how would a shutdown impact you? The latest on the EU's probe into cheap electric vehicles from China, which are flooding the market. A European official says they will approach it fairly. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers, our top news. Mold, toxic water, infections, and more. Thousands of U.S. troops allegedly live in unclean conditions. A new report says this might risk the physical and mental health of service members. The U.S. Government Accountability Office, or GAO, published a new report on the living conditions of U.S. troops. The GAO is a government watchdog. It found that thousands of U.S. military personnel are residing in unclean conditions exposed to sewage, toxic water, mold, and potential infections. Some of the barracks were found to not even meet minimum standards for assignment or occupancy as outlined by the DOD. The report found living conditions in some military barracks may pose potentially serious risks to the physical and mental health of service members as well as their safety. The installations included branches of the Air Force, Navy, and Marine Corps. The report said that the DOD did not know how much it spent on housing for service members who would normally be required to live in barracks, but did not because of insufficient space or poor living conditions. Some of the personnel informed the GAO that the tap water used in their barracks was often brown and didn't appear safe for drinking. Military personnel also complained about pests, including cockroaches, wasps, rodents, and bedbugs. They said officials at some locations told them they were responsible for pest control or for removing hazardous material from barracks, such as mold and sewage. Some members also reported that temperatures in the rooms would exceed 90 degrees Fahrenheit when air conditioners broke down, a situation that happened frequently, they say. The DOD commented on the issue, saying it has, in too many instances, failed to live up to its role in making sure housing for soldiers, sailors, Marines, airmen, and guardians honors their commitment and enables them to bring the best versions of themselves to their critical missions. The DOD is promising to improve conditions. The Biden administration is zeroing in on rail safety. The administration announced today more than $1 billion in funding for rail infrastructure. It will go toward 70 projects in 35 states. This comes after a series of high-profile rail accidents, including February's toxic derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. None of the funding is going to that community. An administration official said there were no grant applications from the town, but Ohio is getting more than $26 million. 
President Biden said last week his administration has been fully engaged in the issue. President Biden is joining the United Auto Workers picket line in Michigan tomorrow. The president said on X that it was to stand in solidarity with the UAW members. He says they're fighting for a fair share of the value they helped create. Strikes at three Midwest plants of GM, Ford, and Stellantis are one week in. UAW President Sean Fain says strikes will soon expand to close to 40 locations in 20 states. He encouraged supporters to join picket lines in an online speech on Friday. Fain invited in his words, our friends and family all the way to the President of the United States. Biden's visit comes a day before his chief rival in the 2024 presidential election, former President Trump, is set to speak to auto workers in Michigan. The UAW has not yet endorsed Biden for re-election. Meanwhile, South Carolina Senator and GOP presidential candidate Tim Scott weighed in on Biden's travel plan. But instead of having a president on the picket line, we need this president on the border, the southern border. Scott made the suggestion yesterday during an interview with Fox News. The senator will be on stage for the second Republican primary debate on Wednesday. New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez now faces a challenge in his bid for re-election in 2024. New Jersey Representative Andy Kim threw his hat into the ring on Saturday. He said he feels compelled to run against Menendez and that New Jersey deserves better. In Kim's words, we cannot jeopardize the senator or compromise our integrity. Menendez is facing mounting pressure from his colleagues to resign. That's in the wake of federal indictments for corruption, bribery, and other charges. According to the indictments, officials found nearly $500,000 hidden in the Menendez home. They also found $100,000 in gold bars. He and his wife allegedly accepted these along with mortgage payments and a Mercedes-Benz in exchange for enriching the Egyptian government. Democratic colleagues are calling for his resignation, but Menendez says he is not going anywhere. However, he has given up his position as chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Senator Menendez pushed back against calls to step down at a press conference today. It was his first public appearance since his indictment. He said he will remain in office despite corruption charges. He expects to be exonerated, quote, when all the facts are presented. Two big-name Republican lawmakers are probing a California law firm for what they are calling a climate crusade. Senator Ted Cruz and Congressman James Comer sent a letter to law firm Cher Edling. They say it's targeting energy companies across the U.S. in climate lawsuits. They are also seeking info about its ties with a Biden administration official. The lawmakers say the firm is helping to stifle the U.S. energy industry. Cher Edling's website says it is holding companies accountable for alleged climate deception. The firm's lawsuits accuse energy companies of knowingly contributing to climate change. As for the Biden official, the acting administrator of the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration was at one point a consultant for Cher Edling. The Republican lawmakers say that her current legislative policies reflect its actions. They are asking what she did with the firm. At least six Republican candidates will take part in the second GOP presidential debate on Wednesday in California, and the frontrunner, former President Trump, will be noticeably absent. The RNC leadership wishes that were different. 
During an appearance on Fox News Sunday, RNC Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel said that not only does she want him to attend a debate before the primaries, the other candidates would like him there too. But as far as what viewers can expect at the debate, she says it will be more of what they saw at the first debate in Milwaukee, and the candidates will be using it to make their case to the American people. Trump leads Biden by 10 points, according to a new poll conducted by ABC and The Washington Post. Is this an outlier or does it point to a larger trend? We speak with Bart Markoy, president of MPIC, a policy, political and business consulting firm and former policy advisor to several presidential campaigns. Bart Markoy, good to have you back on the show. Thanks, Chris. Nice to be here. Bart, Trump leads Biden 51 to 42 percent, according to a new ABC Post poll. What do you think Americans are thinking about these two candidates right now? A, a lot of Americans still have some dissatisfaction with Trump. There's a, there's a general kind of discomfort among women in particular. Uh, but that is starting to drop away as people start to focus on what life under Trump was like compared to what life under Biden and, as I like to point out, Obama is like, uh, because I think it's clear to everybody that Obama is pulling the strings behind the scenes in the Biden administration. Um, and Trump is surging among almost every demographic. The only demographic that favors Biden strongly are strong vocal abortion supporters. Yeah, and coming to that point uh, about different demographics, we're seeing minorities shift their support from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party. Uh, for example, this poll we're talking about shows that Trump went from 32% to 43% with this group this year, while Biden remained at about 50%. What explains this? Oh, I think it's the woke leftism that's uh, that was creeping into the Democrat Party several years ago, but has come surging full-blown now in the past three years. Nobody wants their children mutilated. Uh, nobody wants them interfered with at school. Nobody wants them to be told that they aren't what they think they are in terms of their sexual or gender identity. Nobody wants them being uh, subjected to uh, this, this equity of outcome rather than equality of opportunity. So I live in Virginia, not far from the Thomas Jefferson uh, High School for Science and Technology, TJ as we call it. It, was, it has been the number one high school in the entire country for most of the last 20 years. And this year we slipped down to five and, and it's dropping further very quickly because they ended merit-based admissions. Wow. Now, you've mentioned how the Virginia leg legislative elections this year could be a predictor of the 2024 presidential race. Um, how so? Well, it goes back to the demographic uh, categories you were talking about. If you dig down deeper into that poll. The poll did not give any results for black voters, but, but Trump is making significant inroads amongst black voters. It didn't mention Muslim voters, but he is leading. He is doing very well among Muslim voters. 
and it comes back to the Virginia elections. I've been out uh, handing out flyers at back to school nights for school board candidates. Every single time I hand one to a Muslim voter, and I'm fluent in Arabic, and so many times I'll speak to them if, in Arabic if they're you know, from an Arab country, um, and they will say, we haven't voted Republican since 2001, but we're voting Republican this year. I think you'll see several Republican candidates win. That presages a tsunami in the presidential election next year. Well, it should be a pretty interesting next year or so here. All right, Bart Markoy, thank you again. My pleasure. Thanks, Chris. Coming up, 46 GOP senators demanding a return to business attire on the Senate floor. This comes as Senator John Fetterman dons a hoodie and gym shorts on Capitol Hill. And a new IRS rule that could cause sports and concert ticket resellers to pay more taxes is now active. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. President Biden is hosting leaders of Pacific Island nations at the White House today. The meeting is part of the U.S. Pacific Island Forum Summit aimed at countering China's influence in the region. The U.S. promises new money for infrastructure and announced diplomatic recognition of the Cook Islands and Nui. Economic growth and countering illegal fishing are also on the agenda. Agreements with Palau and Micronesia have been renewed, but a deal with the Marshall Islands is still underway. The summit includes a roundtable with the Special Envoy for Climate, John Kerry, as well as an evening dinner hosted by Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Ambassador to the UN Linda Thomas-Greenfield. The House budget battle is finally shifting to the House floor just days before the new fiscal year starts on October 1st. House members convene tomorrow to consider four fiscal year 2024 appropriations packages. Another procedural vote is scheduled on allowing budget bills to be debated individually. On tap will be the proposed $1.5 trillion farm bill and the $886 billion National Defense Authorization Act for the third time. The Homeland Security budget and State Department spending plan are also on the agenda. House members must still approve 11 out of the 12 bills in the annual federal budget along with resolving any differences with the Senate's budget bills. If a budget is not in place by October 1st, it will either mean a partial government shutdown for the 11th time since 1980, or present funding levels being sustained through a continuing resolution. Is this all a flashback of 2019? Here to discuss the fast approaching shutdown is senior columnist for the Epic Times, Jeffrey Tucker. Jeffrey Tucker, thank you for joining us again. That's good to be here. Thank you. Jeffrey, if there's a shutdown, many of our nearly 4 million federal employees will go without pay. But how will the shutdown affect the rest of us who aren't federal employees? Uh, most likely it won't, uh, although uh, there's going to be a concerted attempt to make sure that it does. So, for example, if there's any federal service that you actually use, for example, the passport office, or going to you know the nation's monuments or anything that 
actually improves your life, you can just be darn sure that will be shut down for sure. So uh, it shuts down and then they impose as much pain as possible on the public. And then, you know, in hopes that you're going to have people screaming, open it up, open it up, you know, take my money, please. Uh, we've we've been, they've been here and done this so many times in the past. So we're, we're pretty well aware of the scam. And how do the circumstances surrounding this potential shutdown uh, compare to the ones uh, in the 2019 shutdown? Well, the, you know, everything's much different. I mean, the federal finances are in far worse shape now than they were before. It looks like we're going to see a doubling of the deficit. Tax revenue is falling uh, dramatically. Uh, receipts are much lower in the first half of this year than anyone anticipated. And the thing is that for the first time, really, probably in, in my living memory, that uh, there's there's actually a, a great deal of public resistance to government expansion and a lot of anger at red red state uh, legislators that are going along with with blue uh, demands. So I tend to think that the politicians that resist uh, funding are going to be rewarded politically. So it, it's it's a kind of a an economic crisis, a financial crisis for the federal government, but it's, but the, but. The, in the backdrop of this, there's a huge uh, political uh, crisis over where we want to go as a country. And just continuing on the politics of this, GOP Representative Patrick McHenry said, coming to an agreement on the appropriations bills was, quote, always going to be a battle. Talk to us about the GOP divide that undergirds the controversy surrounding this appropriations bill? Well, we're learning more about this at all levels of the GOP from coast to coast. And uh, it affects cities and states and the federal government. You've got one group of uh, old world, uh, sort of, I guess you would say, Bush era Republicans that are perfectly fine with big government, uh, higher taxes, more spending, more regulations. In other words, they acquiesce all the time to administrative state demands and, and blue ideological and political priorities. But then you have this new generation of, I would say, you know, Trump-influenced uh, Republicans. It's not entirely accurate, but it's it's quasi true, that are just fed up. They, they feel like they've been sent uh, to uh, the positions of public trust to dismantle and take down the, all this ap apparatus of oppression, uh, the administrative state, the high spending, the terrible finances, the inflation, and they're just not going to have it anymore. So these are, within the Republican Party, you see these divisions becoming ever more stark, and it, it is becoming uh, warlike conditions. We've seen, we saw that in the impeachment uh, of uh, Paxton in, in Texas. Um, so the Republicans very much cooperated with that, and then it was flipped by the other branch of the party. So these divisions within the Republican Party are becoming extremely stark. All right, Jeffrey Tucker, thank you again. Okay, my pleasure. Thank you. And like we've been talking about, the U.S. government may be on the brink of a shutdown this week. Congress remains at an impasse on a funding deal with just six days until the government runs out of money. Meanwhile, federal departments and agencies have started planning to stop non-essential government functions. Here to discuss is NTD Business host Don Ma. Don, how likely is it for a shutdown to actually happen? You know, Chris, uh, there's actually a number of, uh, of members from both parties who are not feeling optimistic about the situation. Uh, in fact, some politicians actually feel that 
Uh, it's actually likely that a shutdown uh, will take place. For example, Democratic Congressman Brendan Boyle thinks that. Uh, but, you know, Chris, there's still time, um, although not a lot. Uh, Congress has until Saturday to make, the, make a deal to keep the government funded. And what would the, f the effect of this shutdown be on Americans and their wallets? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, let's let's keep in mind that a uh, government shutdown is not the end of the world. According to Representative Andy Briggs uh, of Arizona, that uh, so-called shutdown is really a pause in non-essential federal spending. But the direct impact will be on the nearly uh, four million Americans who are federal employees. Uh, essential workers will remain on the job. But others will be temporarily dismissed uh, until the shutdown ends. But none will be paid uh, during the impasse if it happens. Uh, for many of them, a shutdown would strain their finances, of course, uh, just like it did, in fact, in the 35-day funding lapse uh, just a few years ago. Uh, people across the country during that time uh, returned holiday presents because they needed the cash, they missed mortgage payments, they took out short-term loans and ran up their credit card debt, you know, because they had no paychecks for an entire month, Chris. What do you think the impact would be on Americans who don't work for the government? Right, uh, so for those who are thinking of traveling, uh, the White House is sounding alarms about possible massive disruptions to air travel. Um, this is as tens of thousands of air traffic controllers and transportation security administration personnel work without pay. So during the 2019 uh, shutdown, hundreds of TSA officers called out from work and many of them, many of them had to find other ways to make money. And, and uh, speaking of that shutdown, we also saw, uh, saw that one cause uncertainty for tens of thousands of low-income tenants. Uh, who rely on the federal government to help pay their rent. So I guess the main takeaways here is to stay out of debt if you can, you know, keep cash savings on hand and diversify your investments. Uh, you, know, you know, these are just general good advice for personal finance in general. All right. Thank you very much, Don. Thank you, Chris. Senate Leader Chuck Schumer recently decided to no longer enforce a dress code on the Senate floor. In response, 46 Republican senators wrote a letter to Schumer demanding a resolution to return the dress code to business attire. This comes as Senator John Fetterman dons a hoodie and gym shorts on Capitol Hill. NTD's Jack Bradley spoke with etiquette expert Juliet Mitchell to dive into this. Juliet Mitchell, author and etiquette expert, welcome to the program. Great to have you on. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. What is the proper etiquette in a place like Capitol Hill? Well, well, Capitol Hill, we look at that as a, a formal environment. That Those are the leaders of our country, the lawmakers, and they set the tone for the rest of us. So I look at it as a more of a formal environment and a representative of who we are as a nation. Are we losing our traditions of etiquette right now today in the U.S.? I wouldn't say we're losing, we're redefining. And some of the old-fashioned values probably need to be in place. Do we need to change some things and shift some things? We were talking about attire on the Senate floor. Now, when they're working day and night behind the scenes, um, I would say take off the jacket and tie, still be appropriate in your dress. Maybe you don't have to wear hard bottom shoes, 
but you don't, don't want to wear the raggedy as uh, tennis shoes and flip-flops either. So I do believe there is a standard. And by having that standard, that keeps the bar, you know, at a certain place. But when someone like where we are now decided they're going to go totally against that, it started causing chaos and putting energy in places that we don't need to be putting our energy. We need to be making rules and laws and decisions and representing our country in a way that keeps that bar, that standard high. Personally and professionally, I lean toward being more uh, conservative, but that's my way. So where is that bar? Where are we in between? And then what is our agreement? Do we need someone to redefine the dress code, put it in writing, and we all agree? Otherwise, we're going to have a hodgepodge of things that's going to take our focus and our energy off the main thing. Now, Juliet, what is the importance of having good etiquette? The importance of having good etiquette goes from the home to the community to the larger world. It's about, uh, let me explain it to you this way. Some people see etiquette as being nice, kind, and polite, and that's true. But you have the other side of etiquette, which includes our rules and our laws and our protocol. So the nice, kind, and polite helps us to live in harmony with each other. The rules, laws, and protocols are the part of etiquette that keeps us safe and from harming each other. And in the middle is that core of integrity, consideration, and respect. That's the part of etiquette that keeps us productive in our homes, in our workplaces, and in school. Etiquette is about order and flow and respect for yourself and other people in the world around you. One place where it all comes together is actually at the dining table. Being able to talk with people, knowing what to do and what not to do, not to gross people out or offend people and enjoy the company of others. You take that table and you put it at any table and you have a way of relating, even in disagreement, we have an agreement on how we're gonna treat each other. And that helps us to be positive and productive in our lives and in society. Well, with that, Juliet Mitchell, uh, etiquette expert, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for having me, and I uh, look forward to our new etiquette policy, or say, maybe we'll just put etiquette over here and say our agreement on how we're going to be together as a nation. Thank you. Concert and sports event ticket resellers have new IRS guidance to follow when tax time comes around. They'll have to report any earning over $600. It's a huge difference from the previous $20,000 reporting guidance in if over 200 transactions. Now only one transaction over the new threshold amount means that digital platforms must report ticket reseller earnings to the IRS. The rule change was decided at the beginning of the Biden administration and will soon come into play. Ticket reselling platforms would have to send resellers 1099K forms. Resellers would owe taxes if they sold tickets for more than they bought them for. Lawmakers in the House proposed a bill to restore the old threshold and a separate Senate bill compromises by coming in somewhere between the new threshold and the old one with a $10,000 50 transaction limit. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is suspending school choice at four schools with ties to the Chinese Communist Party. 
The decision comes after an investigation by the Florida Department of Education. It found that schools in Weston and Winter Park maintained direct connections with the CCP. The governor's office said the schools association constitute an imminent threat to the health, safety, and welfare of students and the public. DeSantis signed a law in May that prohibits any school affiliated with a foreign country of concern like China from taking part in the state's school choice scholarship programs. The directive to suspend the schools from the program is part of the state's ongoing efforts to distance itself from any influence of the Chinese communist regime. It's been seven weeks since the devastating wildfire in Maui and residents of the town of Lahaina are preparing to return. Officials are expected to lift entry restrictions to the area later today after the deadliest U.S. wildfire in more than a century. Authorities have divided the burned area into 17 zones and dozens of subzones. Residents or property owners of the first area to be cleared for re-entry will be allowed to return on supervised visits today and tomorrow. Local officials say residents will be given the space and privacy to reflect or grieve as they see fit. Those returning will be given water, sanitation facilities, and transportation if needed. Medical and mental health care will also be provided. Still to come, a Swedish prosecutor gives an update on the investigation into the Nord Stream pipeline explosions. Russia is hacking Ukrainian law enforcement computer systems. Ukraine's cyber defense chief explains the details of Russia's capabilities. And China's Evergrande in deeper trouble. The company saw a more than 20% plunge in stocks. What does that mean for China's economy? We'll have the details soon when we return. Back to the news. It's been a year since explosions ruptured gas pipelines connecting Germany and Russia. The prosecutor in the case says the investigation is at a sensitive stage. The prosecutor in the Swedish case hopes to decide whether to bring charges before the end of this year. In September 2022, several unexplained underwater explosions ruptured the Nord Stream 1 and newly built Nord Stream 2 pipelines. The blasts occurred in the economic zones of Sweden and Denmark. Both countries say the explosions were deliberate but have not said who was responsible. The prosecutors said in April that a state actor's involvement was the absolute main scenario, but that confirming the identity of the perpetrators could be difficult. Germany said it raided a sailing yacht in January that perpetrators might have used to transport the explosives. German media reported that a small Ukrainian or pro-Ukrainian group could have used the boat. President Volodymyr Zelensky says that U.S. has agreed to jointly produce weapons with Ukraine, a move he called an absolute fantasy until recently. Zelensky just returned from visits to the U.S. and Canada. He made the announcement in his nightly address. Zelensky said the joint pact will include air defense systems crucial for defense against Russia's air attacks. He also said the deal will boost employment by expanding Ukraine's industrial base. President Biden said the U.S. is committed to helping Ukraine build a force capable of ensuring long-term security and deterring future threats against their freedom. Zelensky is also asking the U.S. for $24 billion in additional military and humanitarian aid. 
Russian hackers are targeting Ukrainian computer systems. Ukraine's cyber defense chief says they're looking for evidence related to possible Russian war crimes. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Russia's intelligence agencies have stepped up their hacking capabilities to target the Ukrainian prosecutor general's office. That's according to Yuri Shokol, the head of Ukraine's cyber defense agency. Groups we've identified as being engaged in this activity are part of Russia's GRU and FSB intelligence agencies. These are law enforcement divisions that are responsible for all the cyber attacks on Ukrainian territory. Commercial hacking does not exist in Russia. Hackers are always potentially or financially motivated by the Russian government. Shokol said cybersecurity incidents grew by about 120 percent in the first half of this year, compared to the last six months of 2022. He added that Russian hackers are prioritizing government bodies in an effort to access their email servers. There's been a change in direction from a focus on energy facilities toward law enforcement institutions, which had previously not been targeted that often. This shift towards the courts, prosecutors, law enforcement units, and other institutions from which they are trying to gain information shows that hackers are gathering evidence about Russian war crimes in Ukraine. Shokol said there's also evidence that Russian hackers accessed Ukrainian security cameras to monitor the aftermath of missile and drone strikes. Ukraine is expected to release a report detailing Russia's cyber efforts Monday. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The world's most indebted company is in deeper trouble. Shares of Chinese property giant Evergrande plunged this morning. They were down as much as 24 percent in early Hong Kong trade. That's after it warned it's unable to issue new debt due to an investigation into one of its subsidiaries. Here's the latest. Group firm Hengda Real Estate said last month that it was being probed by regulators over suspected violations regarding the disclosure of information. On Monday, Evergrande said that meant it did not qualify to issue new bonds. The news comes just a week after police detained some staff at the company's wealth management unit. There was no detail on how many were held or what the charges were. Now the turmoil piles pressure on Evergrande's restructuring plans. Earlier this month, it delayed a decision on what to do about its offshore debts, saying creditors needed more time to think. The firm needs approval from 75% of the holders of each debt class to proceed with restructuring. But sentiment on the whole sector remains feverish, with major rivals like Country Garden also teetering close to default. The crisis in the property sector, which accounts for about a quarter of China's economy, has sent tremors through global markets. Investors worry what would happen if major firms went under and have so far been unimpressed by Beijing's moves to prop up the sector. The European Union is investigating China-made electric vehicles, which are flooding the global market. Their prices are artificially low due to huge state subsidies. The EU trade chief gave an update on the probe. What has been announced is a launch of anti-subsidy investigation, which is going to be uh, facts-based investigation and uh, which will provide uh, uh, sufficient opportunities also for engagement with both uh, Chinese authorities and Chinese uh, uh, industry. 
There are uh, uh, several areas where we are uh, looking at uh, uh, possible trade irritants and uh, barriers. He made the comments during a four-day trip to China. He spoke of Europe taking a more assertive stance against unfairness, but also committed to continuing trade with China. He called on China to step up cooperation to move the relationship forward. The EU investigation kicked off mid-month. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said the bloc must stand against unfair practices like the state subsidies behind cheap Chinese electric cars. According to the Commission, the probe has 13 months to wrap up and take action. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. After the break, a top Italian mafia boss has died. He was captured months ago after decades on the run. He was considered one of Europe's most wanted criminals. And a group of climate activists disrupt the start of the Berlin Marathon. We'll be back with more soon here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Thousands of U.S. troops live in unclean conditions. This includes mold, toxic water infections, and more, according to a Government Accountability Office report. The situation allegedly causes physical and mental health problems to service members. The second GOP presidential debate is just days away, but frontrunner Trump is not attending. RNC Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel says she and other debaters wish the former president would join one debate before the primaries. Top Republicans in Congress accused law firm Cher Edling of a climate crusade. The firm has sued multiple U.S. energy companies. The lawmakers want info about the firm's funding and its connection to a Biden administration official. The U.S. government may be on the brink of a shutdown this week. Congress remains at an impasse on a funding deal with just six days until the government runs out of money. Meanwhile, agencies have started planning to stop non-essential functions. And now for some international headlines. Italian mafia boss Matteo Denaro has died, according to Italian media reports. Denaro was captured after 30 years on the run. He died in a hospital in central Italy while undergoing treatment for colon cancer. The former Cosa Nostra mafia boss was arrested in January at a private health clinic in Palermo. Europol considered Denaro one of the most wanted men in Europe. Venezuela has regained control of Tocaron prison and dismantled the Tren de Aragua gang. Police also recaptured the 88 gang members who escaped during a raid last week. The prison, previously managed by the gang, held 1,600 inmates. Some were transferred to other prisons. The infamous jail was considered one of Venezuela's most violent and served as the hub for the Tren de Aragua's criminal activities. During the Berlin Marathon on Sunday, a group of climate activists attempted to disrupt the event. Just moments before the race was set to begin, they sprayed orange paint onto the track right within sight of the starting line. Authorities swiftly detained at least eight of them. In the past, they have resorted to tactics such as gluing themselves to roads and blocking rush hour traffic across Germany, 
causing significant disruption. Guests at a Canadian amusement park had a frightening experience over the weekend. They got stuck upside down on a ride for nearly 30 minutes. Videos of the incident showed the stuck guests shouting to be brought down. Two of them reported chest pain and a loss of feeling in their legs. As a result of the incident, the ride remained closed on Sunday for further investigation. If you aren't keen on a gym membership or fitness class, here are three things to include in your DIY exercise program. Here's more from NTD's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. cost of living is rising, so extra costs like gym memberships and fitness classes may not be a priority. The good news is, is that you can make just as much progress at home. The most important components of fitness are cardiovascular endurance, muscle strength and flexibility. Each can be trained with little or no equipment. Let's look at what to add to your home exercise program starting with cardio. Cardiovascular endurance exercise forces the heart and lungs to increase the supply of oxygen to the working muscles. Cardiovascular endurance exercise keeps the heart healthy. The best thing about cardio is you don't need any fancy equipment. Try walking, jogging, running, cycling, skipping with a rope or swimming. Aim for a minimum of 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise per week. Your other option is 75 minutes of vigorous intensity cardiovascular exercise each week. Next is look at muscle strength. Muscle strength is trained through resistance exercises. This is important for bone health, balance and metabolic health. It's especially important as we age. That's because our muscle mass and strength decline. Aim for two days per week of whole body resistance exercise. You'll want to perform at a moderate or greater intensity. Try to build two weekly sessions that target the major muscle groups. This could include squats, hinges, push-ups, horizontal and vertical pull-ups and vertical pushes. As you progress, continue to challenge your muscles by adding an extra set to each exercise. Include dumbbells, changing body positions or wearing a backpack with weights. And finally, let's look at flexibility. Improved flexibility can increase your range of motion. It can also improve your ability to manage daily life. The most basic and readily accessible is static stretching. This is where you lengthen the muscle. For example, the hamstrings. You just stretch until you feel a stretching sensation. Hold that position for 15 to 30 seconds. For best results, aim for five to 10 minutes per week per muscle group and spread it across five days. The best exercise is the one that gets done. So whatever you choose, make sure you enjoy it. Would you take your dog to see a movie? Parents, kids, and their canine companions broke a record on Sunday. Talk about a doggone good time. Families with dogs all gathered in Los Angeles' Griffith Park to see Paw Patrol, the Mighty Movie, Paramount Pictures, Best Friends Animal Society, and Street Food Cinema invited them. 219 dogs and their owners came to see the animated canines. That was enough to set a Guinness World Record for most dogs attending a film screening. The movie opens nationally on Friday. And that's all for today's news. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.